If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there uh, Bibles should be in the seats in front of you. You can pull out one of those and uh, use it, and you're welcome to take it home with you if you don't have a Bible. Um, as you're turning there, I just want to just make uh, one comment. Kath and I were uh, invited to come down to the church last night for um, a portion of uh, the Pym Girls' Night reunion, and it was a pretty amazing night. Um, it was uh, hosted by some of the PIM leaders, and it, what this is, is these are girls that have been part of the Sunday morning um, teaching that Dan uh, has been doing for the last six years here at the church, and so you don't see a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, young people in junior high, because if they're here, they head out and they go to PIM Plus. And uh, anyhow, over the course of six years, there's been 59 girls that have gone through this PIM Plus. And uh, last night, they were all invited, but uh, I think about 20, some of them came out, and then a number of their leaders and helpers, and a uh, uh, number of the PIM coordinators. And it was just an amazing night of um, seeing what God is doing in the lives of these young ladies in our church, to see the relationship with God that they have and how it is growing, uh, to see the relationships that they are building with one another and how those are growing. Um, and to just see the joy and excitement by leaders and by those girls alike, it was just an amazing night. And as I was looking out over uh, that uh, sort of auditorium full of girls, I was thanking the Lord that in a place like Oceanside, we have that many young ladies that are seeking God. And uh, I pray that, uh, you know, that you, uh, maybe who are beyond youth years, will um, from time to time look in the bulletin and see what's going on and pray for our youth. Uh, pray for the work of God that's happening in our community and that more and more of these uh, young ladies and these young men will come to a faith in Christ and set out on a life that will forever change them. And uh, so keep them in your prayers um, and be thankful that we're part of a church that we are blessed to have um, so many young people in um, uh, here. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read uh, verses 4 to 9 uh, this morning, and that's where we're going to spend our time today. Uh, last week, we uh, focused on the first three verses and introduced the church um, in some ways and uh, um, what God is doing. But verse 4 now is Paul's note of thanksgiving uh, on behalf of the church in Corinth. And he writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we thank you for our time now to uh, worship you around your word. And as Barry prayed a little bit earlier, I'm so thankful that we even have words from you. It is a tremendous gift of grace just in that alone, that we have them written in our language, um, that we can understand them. And Father, sorry that we so often take them for granted and leave this book on the shelf or leave it beside our bed or on our coffee table and don't get to it very often. I pray that we will be reminded uh, today of the magnitude of your grace and what you have done for us and of the beauty of your word. 
make your book live in our hearts and lives this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you have a Bible that has other notes in it, uh, the heading of this section is likely Paul's word of thanksgiving or a note of thanksgiving or something along those lines. One of the things that I have noticed about the Apostle Paul again and again is that he never hesitates to give thanks to God. He's always giving thanks to God. At every opportunity, he gives thanks, thanks to God for something or for someone. It's his regular habit. In spite of difficulties he might be facing, he always finds reason to give thanks. In almost every other letter that the apostle has written, there is a, a note of thanks at the beginning. And often in that note of thanks, he will give thanks for some aspect of the congregation. And so, for instance, um, when he gives thanks to the Romans, he thanks them for their living or their vital faith. When he gives thanks to the church in Philippi, he gives thanks to them for their partnership in the gospel. But here, when he comes to the church in Corinth, as you uh, maybe noted from last week that we're here, the church in Corinth was really a bit of a mess. And I'm sure Paul could have found things to give thanks for uh, regarding the people there. But rather than zeroing in on the people, he drills down on the grace of God. And he gives thanks to God for all that God had done on behalf of these Corinthian believers. I was amazed as I sat in my study and I reflected on the messiness of this church, of how thankful I was that God had such a messy church because as a result of it, we have this incredible note of thanksgiving from Paul that really tells us what we ought to be thankful to God for. What God has done for the church, what God is doing for the church, and what God will continue to do for the church. I was taken back again and again as I just listened to these words and meditated on these words about the extent and the magnitude of God's grace that had been poured out on these group of believers. And again and again in my notes, I don't know how many times I wrote it, but I just started writing the doxology, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It just was my, my song uh, all through the week as I was reflecting on these particular verses. It is full of things about God. They are full of things about Christ Jesus. They are full of things that God has done through Christ on behalf of His church. And it is incredible as you think about this, that our God is so big, so kind, so gracious, so generous, so merciful, That God has done so much for us as a people in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the richness of God's grace and God's mercy, it overflows to His church beyond anything that we could have ever asked or imagined or even dreamt of. And in this particular few verses here, we have, I think, is a look at the church from God's point of view rather than from a human point of view. And we look at the church as God looks at the church. We look at the church as God writes about the church. We look at the church as what God has done for the church. And we will get to the human realities of the church starting next week. But this morning, I just want us to just be filled with awe and thanksgiving as Paul was as we reflect on God's mercy to the church. In verse 4, Paul just starts off on the note. He simply says, I give thanks to my God and Father always because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. I love the fact that Paul is always 
thanking God for one of his gifts, his grace, his mercy, peace in Christ, for any number of these things. The psalmist exclaims in one place, I will praise the name of God and I will magnify him with my thanksgiving. Do you know that, loved ones? That when you give thanks to God, you magnify God. You make him big. You make him great. You make him known. Because when you give thanks to God, you're acknowledging that all that comes into your life comes from the hand of God. It's such an important part of our daily life to learn to magnify God with our thanksgiving. To the Philippian believers, Paul writes to them, and he encourages them to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's a tough verse to wrap our minds around, but it is, there is nothing that's true, that there is nothing that happens in our life that has caught God off guard. There is nothing in our life that God isn't aware of, or that God hasn't foreordained, or that God doesn't know about. And so when we give thanks to God, we acknowledge that even in the ugly times, God is there with us, guiding us, directing us. That's the will of God for us, loved ones, is that we give thanks to Him. And so there is never a time, I don't think, as believers, that we can't find reason to magnify God with our thanksgiving. What a great model, then, we have here of the Apostle Paul that he gives to us, that even as we might look at one another and we might look at ourselves and see nothing but a mess, we look beyond that mess and we see the grace of God poured out in our lives and in this place. As we consider these words of thanksgiving, um, and I, I think we can go back to verse 1 to verse 9, but certainly verses 4 to verse 9, where it's obvious that Paul is focusing on what God has done for the church, what God is doing for the church, and what God will do for the church. It's amazing sort of bird's eye view of the fullness and the richness of God's grace to you and I as individuals and also to you and I as a church. Paul is simply going to trace some of the more magnificent contours of God's grace as he brings us into his family in Christ Jesus, as he sustains us together in that family, and then as he hangs on to us and presents us guilty or guiltless, sorry, before Christ on the day that he comes back. It's a stunning sort of look at what God has done. One person tried to explain these three sort of tenses of what God has done in our lives by uh, a lifeboat analogy. And he says this, that someone may have been saved, that reference to the past, decisively from a sinking ship. But as the lifeboat brings him or her through the choffy, uncomfortable seas, which is the present reality, a lifeboat has come out to us, it saved us, we are now making our way back to shore, the final safe landing on the solid shore still lies on the future. There's still a future blessing that we await, but when we get to that shore, there's great rejoicing that finally our feet are on solid ground. And so there's a sense at which Paul is looking now at this great expanse of God's grace in our lives. And he begins by talking about God's grace to us received in the past. He gives thanks for God's grace in the past. And we see that in verse 4 and in verse 6. I've already read them, but I'll read them again. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given you in Christ. Notice the past tense. The grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus. 
And then he goes on in verse 6, and I think verse 6 is, a, is a, um, a, a, an explanation of being enriched in Christ, but he says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. It's also a past tense reference, and I think both of those verses refer back to what God has done for us. Specifically, the grace of God that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. I hope we uh, begin to understand something of grace, that grace is a gift. That God's grace is something that is undeserved. It's, his, it's unrepayable. It's His kindness and His mercy given to us who are sinners who didn't deserve anything. It need not, in fact, it cannot be repaid. I hope you know that about God's grace, and I hope you give up that futile effort if you're on that track today. You cannot repay God for the grace that He has given to you. Grace comes to us through Jesus Christ. And here he's referring to all the blessings of God's grace that we have received in salvation. Some of those we could mention, and they might be forgiveness or redemption or eternal life or justification by which we are made righteous or the mercy that we have received. Not one of these we have earned, loved ones. Every one of these we have received only through God's grace. And we receive them as a gift from the character of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as contingent grace. There is no such thing as merited grace. There is no such thing as temporary grace. God's grace is given to us fully, finally, completely, and eternally in Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul gives thanks for as he's reflecting on the church. You know, there's a number of things that are incompatible with grace. There are a number of things that are incompatible with God's grace that we have received. One of them is guilt. I think sometimes Christians are plagued with guilt. And it's such a shame because it's incompatible with the grace of God. When we receive God's gift of grace as individuals, our sin and our sins, past, present, and future, are done with. They are forgiven in Christ Jesus. God's grace has dealt with every one of them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our debt is paid. There is nothing any longer between us and God. There is no slate to be wiped out. There is no residual smog in our lives. God has dealt fully and completely with every one of our sins, past, present, and and future. I hope we wrap our heads around this, that God's grace involves unmerited, undeserved, and permanent forgiveness. You see, I find this to be just extraordinarily good news for any who might be here today who have yet trusted in Jesus Christ. Because sometimes one of the lies that the devil throws before us, one of the hesitations we have is that we have done so much that there are so many sins that we've committed, and some of them are so horrific, that how could God ever forgive me? And how could I ever repay God if I should come to Him and receive free gift of salvation in Christ? Well, grace is the answer. God's grace deals with every one of your sins. There is nothing to fear. And for those of us who are already in Christ Jesus, this is great consolation. 
It's great wonder. It's a wonder of God to know that, yes, we will still sin, but those sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Because of God's grace, we have no guilt. It's an amazing thing to learn to wrap our heads around. I sat in offices in various churches that I've worked in again and again with people who come into my office and they're, they're followers of Christ. They're dear brothers and sisters in Christ with us, but they are haunted and they are taunted by sins that they've committed in the past. And they're walking with God, but they're wondering, how can God ever forgive them? How can God ever deal with that? And they keep bringing up this stuff. And sometimes it's the evil one. And I, I, I just want to, and I do, I say to him, that's done with. You're forgiven. God's grace has wiped that out. I want us to know today that guilt is incompatible with the grace of God. And in, all, in Christ, all our guilt, all our penalty have been permanently removed. In Him we stand guiltless and holy now, tomorrow, and for the rest of eternity. When God saved us, He ultimately took away all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our punishment. That is the grace that we have received in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, or we're reminded here that grace is also incompatible with human obligation. I hope you understand that this morning. That grace that we receive from God is a gift. It's not a loan. You don't have to pay it back. And God will never call it as, it, as if it were a loan. We do not have to pay back grace. Grace makes us totally indebted to God, but because the cost is so great, we cannot repay it. And because it is grace and it is so great, we need not repay it. God expects nothing from us in return for His grace except praise and thanksgiving and worship and awe of what He has done for us. See, grace is the giving, loved ones, of that which has not been earned and that which is not deserved. That is what makes grace, grace. And that is what makes the message of salvation in Jesus Christ such incredible good news, is that if you've come here today and you're thinking, well, I've, I've considered Christ, but I can never pay Him back. I can never work it off. I can never earn His favor. You don't have to. This is what grace is. It's, it's astounding. We owe Him everything out of gratitude. We owe him nothing out of obligation. And thirdly, grace and human merit are incompatible. And I hope that we come to grips with us this again and again in our lives. Some do not deserve grace more than others. I hope you understand that. I, I hope that is sort of in your head. This is such a lie that we speak to ourselves and sometimes that the evil one drops into our ears. It's a way sometimes of, of even keeping us from turning to Christ because we think, well, I can't merit this. I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough. That person might be, but I'm not. Hogwash. You don't find that anywhere in the Scriptures. Among ourselves, we might distinguish between those who are better and those who are worse. But in the spiritual world around us, every one of us is equally dead in our sins. Every one of us is equally blemished before God. Not one of us has any more merit than anybody else in receiving God's gift of grace. 
God's grace erases any thought of merit. And this is what Paul was grateful for. Eternally grateful for the grace of God that had been given in Christ Jesus. We have received the grace of God in Christ. There is nothing that we should fear. There is nothing that we can do. There is no reason why it was given to me other than the fact that God is simply gracious to us. This is how the church begins, and this is how our walk begins with God, is that we receive this incredible gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 6 that we have received this grace um, or when, when the testimony of Christ was confirmed or established in us. I think that that's when we, we, we sort of recognize and receive that gift. It's that moment that, that all of a sudden we call out to God. We've heard Him calling us, and we've heard about Christ, and we've heard about forgiveness, and we, we've heard the testimony of Christ and all that He's done. And when we accept Him, when we put our faith in Him, all of a sudden all of that is confirmed in us. And we have this overwhelming sense that, We're different, and we're clean, and we're forgiven, and we stand guiltless before God. Oh, I hope that today and throughout this week you might find time to just give thanks to God for His incredible gift of grace that has been given to you when you first put your trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul moves on and he talks a little bit about the grace of God given in the present. He gives thanks for God's grace that now the believers and the church continue to receive. Not only then have we (laughs) received grace in the past, but we're empowered by grace in the present. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says there, that in every way you have been enriched by him or in him in all speech and in all knowledge. In every way, all. There's no gaps. There's nothing left out. There's nothing missing. And then in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. There is nothing that God has not given us. There is no resource that God has not made available to us that we might be able to say, God, you've not given me this. God, your grace is lacking here. No, you've been enriched in every way, in all ways, so that you lack nothing. This is our present reality, loved ones, as we walk with God. God has not been stingy. God has not scattered a few uh, crumbs off his table and said, here, make do with this. God has blessed us in overwhelming ways. I thought about this. You know, just some scriptures went through my mind. I went through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I thought about Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name and forget none of His benefits. And then there's this incredible recounting of the benefits of God. I thought about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and following, where there we, we are told that we have blessed, been blessed by God in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then there's thing after thing after thing after thing after thing that is listed about the blessings that God has given us in the present. He says you've been blessed with all speech. I I think this this is a prominent issue, and we'll come across this again and again in the book of Corinthians, where we'll talk here about the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues. We'll talk about words of wisdom. 
And there was an issue that the Corinthian church had with speech, but I think that what I want to zero in, and I think it's true of this text, it refers to the testimony of Jesus, but it's just to emphasize the aspect of telling God's truth. There's not a one of us here today who is a follower of Jesus Christ who can't speak about Christ, who hasn't been given knowledge to talk to others about Jesus Christ. Each one of us can testify to what Christ has done for us. I know there's a lot of fear sometimes, and sometimes we say, well, I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to say it, or I'm not qualified to speak. And I say this carefully, but don't tell yourself a lie. That's the same thing that Moses said to God when God said, I want to send you to speak on behalf of my people to Pharaoh. And Moses was gifted in speech, but he says, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk. I don't know the words to say. But God said, well, haven't I given you your mouth? There's a sense in which here I believe that those such excuses betray the grace of God given to us in order to testify about him. We have been called to be prepared. We have been called to be ready. We have been called to be careful in how we speak. I understand that. But God has given each one of us here everything we need to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, with somebody that he might bring across our path. He's given us all knowledge. I don't think that means that our knowledge is complete. That can't be what it means. We don't know everything. We don't know enough. But he's given us access to everything that we need. He's given us access to all knowledge. Each of us has believed at some point in the testimony of Christ. That in itself is considerable knowledge. We have God's word. We have God's spirit. We've been blessed with a considerable amount of knowledge as Christians and followers of God. But Paul does pray that we would be enriched and that we would grow and that we would know more and more about God and about Christ. But there's nothing that God will reserve from us or withhold from us. He's given us all speech and all knowledge. And then he says, I've also given you all gifts. That's incredible. You're not lacking in anything, he says. As an individual and as a church, there's nothing that we lack. The Corinthian church did not have the same spiritual maturity or moral character as maybe other churches did, but they had the same spiritual resources. And I hope we understand that as followers of Jesus Christ here today. We have everything we need to serve God. We don't need to look down the road at some other church and think, you know, if only God would give us somebody like that. If only God would bring somebody like that into our church. If only we could have somebody that would do that in our church, then we would be good. No! God has given us all that we need here in Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church to serve God amongst one another and in our community. We don't need to look outside these walls, loved ones. We just need to look around us. Every single one that is a follower of Christ today is gifted by God. And as a church, we lack nothing of the resources that we need. I am troubled with armchair Christianity. I really think that it, it ought not to exist. Christianity is a participation religion. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a faith in which we follow after God with the gifts that God has given us, and we serve one another in community. That's why we have communities, in fact, because no single one of us possesses everything that we need to be self-sufficient. I need you, you need me, we need each other. And God says about us that we don't lack any spiritual gift. I think every believer has a spiritual gift. 
If you don't know what your gift is, I would encourage you then to seek. Ask God. Say, God, I, I've been sitting for so long, and, and I heard today that maybe I've got a gift. Will you help me recognize it? Or maybe go out for coffee with a couple of your friends over the next week and say to them, you know, I, I want to I know what God has in store for me. Is there something that you recognize in me that, that, that maybe I'm uniquely gifted at or qualified at or a way that I can serve? Because there's not a single follower of Jesus Christ here today who hasn't been gifted by God in one way or another to serve God in this place and in this community and around the world. We simply need to seek God and get understanding of what that is and then to serve God in the way he has gifted us. I read this uh, illustration, and I think it's helpful. We are born spiritually just as we are born physically, with everything complete and intact. We do not need to add arms and legs or organs as we mature physically. These grow and develop, but they are not added. And when we are born spiritually, we are undeveloped, but complete. We need spiritual food to grow. We need spiritual exercise to grow, but we don't need additional spiritual parts. If we do not grow or if we regress, it's not because we lack God's resources, but only because we don't use them. Loved ones, we need nothing more from God as individuals or as a church. In Christ, we have been made complete. And as Paul reminds them, they lack nothing from God. Failure is never on God's side. It's always on our side. And so Paul rejoices for the gift of God the gift of God's grace given to them in the past. He rejoices in the gift of God given to the, them in the present. And then he rejoices in God's gift to them in the future. Thank you, God, for your future grace. He says, you eagerly wait, verse 7 and 8, uh, you, as you eagerly wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. Are you beginning to see the expanse of what Paul is talking about? The grace that was given that brought us into the family of God. He will sustain us now to the very end, to the day of the Lord and into eternity. It's all by God's grace, loved ones. We, I mentioned this, I think, last week. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. T'was grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What's the, what a future ahead of us. Notice how the future invades the present. He says there, you are eagerly waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a genuine longing for redemption. It's a genuine longing for the perfection that will be ours when Christ is revealed. It's not an, a, a passive sort of sitting around where we sell everything and go sit in a hill and say, well, I'm waiting for Christ to be revealed. No, we serve God and we, we work in the church and we work in our communities and we work in our jobs, but there's always with, in the back of the, our minds this eager expectation that Christ is going to be revealed. I, I, I would never ask for a show of hands, but how many of you this week eagerly anticipated the revelation of Christ? Or were you so taken up by the, the weight of the world and by what you were dealing with and your jobs and your kids and your families and your finances and all of that, that everything was earthly focused. Paul says here that you eagerly wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
there's two aspects that Paul brings to our attention about the future. The first, as I said, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling. It's the revealing. It's the glimpse of, not the glimpse, but it's finally seeing Christ for who he really is. There's three main words in the scriptures that talk about the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe they're all synonymous. I believe they're, they're interchangeable. They refer to the same event. They're just different nuances. One of them is one that we're very familiar with, the parousia of the Lord or the coming of the Lord. And from uh, Revelation to back to Matthew, the coming of the Lord is referenced again and again. Another one of the words that is used to describe the return of the Lord is the epiphany of the Lord or His appearing. That one day He's going to appear. And that's used again and again throughout the New Testament to describe the, the, the sort of unveiling the return of Jesus Christ back to earth. And the final one, and there's other ones, but they're not used as frequently, is the revealing of the Lord. The revelation of the Lord. The, the uh, apocalypsis of the Lord. This is not a secret event, loved ones. This is a profound revelation of God to all the world where His glory and His majesty and His might is revealed for all to see. It will come as a shock to the world. I was reading in Luke chapter 17 today in my devotions, and there it was talking about um, uh, the days of Noah, as Noah's building the ark. And as Noah's building the ark, life is going on around him, and people are marrying and giving in marriage. They're eating, they're drinking, they're having a good time. It says, all until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and then the flood came. And say, use the description again of Lot and, uh, as he left Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and when Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They were having a great time until Lot left Sodom and God rained down fire and judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring communities. And then he goes, Jesus goes on to say, that's what it will be like before the revelation, before my revelation. He says people will be eating and drinking and marrying. Life will be going on. And all of a sudden, Christ will be revealed in all His glory and majesty and power. Are you eagerly waiting for that day? But then notice what he also says. He says that it's also going to be the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's another description of what is going to happen, I believe, on this final day. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ, we first reference it in the Old Testament, and it is clearly a day of judgment. This was a horrific day. It's described sometimes as a dark day. It's a day when all of a sudden God will come and sit on His throne and He will make stuff right. And for those who are not in Christ, it will be a terrifying day. And He goes on. In the New Testament, you can find New Testament writers again and again who write about this, and, and they talk about the day of the Lord, and it also is a day of judgment. And I think there's uh, seven judgments referred to in the New Testament. I am one who believes that all of those judgments take place on the final day of the Lord. It's not separate judgments that happen all over the place. It's one day of judgment where all of these judgments are realized as Christ sits on His throne. This is an incredible day. When Christ comes back, when Christ appears, when Christ is revealed, and He sits on His throne. And we find this is referenced in, in, in a lot of places, but 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says that when Christ is revealed, He comes to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well, or, or, or as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, there's that same word, 
that's used in Corinthians. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the day of judgment. All in the same verse again. And you say, well, where is the grace? Where is the future grace here? Well, loved ones, I hope you saw it. Who will sustain you to the end and will present you guiltless on the day of judgment. That is God's grace, loved ones. I don't know about you. I would be done if I did not have the sustaining grace of God at work in my life on an ongoing basis. And I would be done if, I, if all of a sudden God said, okay, I've got you this far. Now you're on your own, Paul. I would be done. In a split second, I would be done. But God sustains me to the end. Loved ones, forget about your effort or your work or anything right now this morning. Just reflect on the glory of God's grace and the way that he carries you and sustains you and confirms you to the end. I was thinking again. It's been in my head a lot these last six or eight weeks about um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, and I am convinced of this that he who began a good work in your life will complete it at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again, this, this term, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will finish what he started. It's the grace of God, loved ones. There is no lost, there are no lost causes with God. Rejoice in that. Rest in that this week. Give thanks for that this week. That God is sustaining you. And then this staggering phrase you will be guiltless on the day of the lord you know for those outside of the christ, outside of christ the day of the lord and I, I don't say this to scare anyone but this is true it will be a terrifying fearful day to stand before the judgment of god and know that you are standing on your own but for those who are in christ jesus it says that god will present us guiltless unimpeachable, perfect, whole, free from any charge, safe and secure from all along. How is it that we will be guiltless in the day of the Lord? Because God's grace to us has come to us in Christ Jesus. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Loved ones, that's the grace of God. Do you get the expanse of what Paul is talking about here? Before he launches in to what he needs to talk to the Corinthians about, he says, first of all, I want you to have a glimpse of the grace of God that has been poured out on you, that is being poured out on you, and that will be poured out on you until the very end. And then finally, verse 9. I love this verse, and (laughs) I would... I would like to spend a whole Sunday on this particular verse, but you're going to have to just take your own time to reflect it. I, I think verse 9 is, is sort of a, a summary. It's a glue. It's an explanation for how God's grace works, how it will be sustained, um, how it's affected in our life, all of those kinds of things. And there's a few things that, that Paul mentioned, and it's all rooted in the faithfulness of God. God is 
faithful. Loved ones, you and I really don't know a lot about faithfulness because there's not a person here that hasn't been let down by another human being. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around somebody who is faithful even when we're faithless. But Paul reminds us here about the character of God, the unchanging character of God. How God's grace is not contingent on my behavior. It's not contingent on my holiness. It's not contingent on my sinfulness. It's not contingent on my obedience. It's not contingent on my unfaithfulness. It is rooted in God's character. He is faithful. Loved ones, when you feel yourself sinking down, when you feel yourself lost and thinking you don't have a hope, muster in your breath, but you are faithful, oh God, but you are faithful. Secondly, it says that God has called us. This is a rich, rich, rich theme to reflect on. It is simply the work of God that calls us out of darkness into light. It's the call of God that is part of the process of salvation in in Romans chapter 8 verses uh, 28 I will read these we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose there's that word again but for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the first born among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those Those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a work of God, loved ones. This is another um, grace of God, the call of God. We used to sing this song, I'm I'm Forever Grateful. Um, And there's a line in there that says, And you let me hear your voice calling me. If God did not call us, not a single person would be here today. And if God did not enable us to hear him calling us, there would not be a single person here today. The call of God, the effectual call of God, is another aspect of the grace of God in our lives. And what are we called to? He says we're called to fellowship with Christ. I'd love to spend time here too. I'll simply say this, that what that is, I believe, is just saying that we have been called to be sharers in Christ. All the blessings of Christ, all the richness of Christ, all the perfections of Christ are ours. Because of what God has done for us, because of his grace, because he has called us, he has called us into fellowship, into sharing with Jesus Christ. We share the life of Christ. And I just want to draw your attention to this and I close. Uh, You you, might have noted that this... These verses are packed with references to Jesus Christ. And Paul ends with one of the most expansive references to Christ that you can find. Fellowship with his son. That is God's only begotten son. That is God's beloved son. That is God's eternal son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that it would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is an incredible statement about the relationship that God had has with his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus. Jesus. What is, that's a reference to the humanity of Jesus. 
That's a reference to God being with us. That's a reference to God identifying with us, God coming down to us. It's, a, it's also a historical reference that Jesus Christ actually lived, that he breathed and he walked and he ate and he drank and he suffered and he died. Our son, Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, God's chosen one, our Savior, is wrapped up in Christ who is God. And then our Lord. That's a reference to just our relationship now with this Son, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. We confess Him with our lips. We obey Him with our hearts. We submit to Him because He is our Lord. What an expansive way to end as He begins to launch into this. We've been brought into fellowship with Jesus Christ. We've been brought into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, loved ones, I hope you have some time today to just give thanks. To just purely give thanks for God's grace. Look past the garbage in your life. Look past the garbage in somebody else's life. Look past the messes that you're dealing with. And just look at life from God's perspective. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. 